Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, thank you for joining me today with my guest, Laura Patterson. She is the co-founder and president of Vision Edge Marketing, along with a best-selling author, award-winning influencer, and a growth strategy expert. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you, Marsha. I'm really excited to have an opportunity to uh, be with you and your listeners. Well, you are one accomplished woman, my friend, and we're going to be talking about that. I suspect you're also modest, but you are very accomplished. So before we get into talking about what it is you do, could you just tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I live in Austin, Texas, which many people are probably familiar with now. But when I got here 40 years ago, we were just a little blip on the map. So that's uh, <laughs> how things can change. I hail from St. Louis, so I'm a Midwesterner. Uh, and if anyone knows anything about Midwestern people, we kind of just are straight shooters, kind of, you know, call it like we see it. And uh, my background is all around data analytics, uh, growth strategies, and, um, you know, helping businesses be successful. Well, I can just tell you, as a side note, based on what you just said, my husband was born in Detroit. And, yes, I understand Midwestern philosophies. I've always felt that people that grew up in the Midwest, and, and no offense to where I've always lived in Los Angeles my entire life in my community of Westchester, Midwestern people are adaptable because you face weather conditions that we do not face here. And so you have to be prepared, which is one of the reasons my husband actually left Detroit and came to Los Angeles when I met him. So I have a very strong affinity to people from the Midwest. So thank you for sharing that. And um, I, I, you're so interesting. And I read that you're – Data analytics and your customer centricity have played a key part in your career, as you just mentioned. So please tell us about the first job you used and those insights from from your data. Well, I had a really wonderful mentor uh, for my first job. I worked in the insurance industry. I imagine some of your um, listeners understand insurance. Either they're in it or they have some. Uh, This Mm -hmm. was more a property or casualty, life insurance, automobile insurance type of insurance. Uh, And one of the things he wanted was to increase the amount of business he was doing with existing customers, which he called expanding share of wallet, a common phrase. (laughs) He hired me to look at every customer that he had. And back then, uh, everything was just in a manila folder in the in a closet, just you know, row after row after row. And what he wanted me to do was go through all those folders and see if I could <laughs> find some common ways to segment his customer base. And that's what I did for my very first job. And then from those segments, we would identify what might be 
potential other insurance products that would be well suited for that segment um, without going into too much detail. So my mm-hmm. job was to go through that, do the data analytics, create the schema or model, and make recommendations and put together then actual marketing programs that would allow him to be successful at growing share of wallet. That was my first job. Growing a share of, say it again, so you're expanding the share of a wallet? wallet. Yeah, so when you think, you know, think about people have a wallet and they have only so much money in it, and sure. you wanted to get more of what they had. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it's so funny you're talking about manila folders. We're ta- what, how, what year are we talking about approximately? We're talking about the mid to tail end of the 70s. Okay. So, you know, that's, I don't even know if Excel was around then or not, or the types of um, programming that we are also accustomed to today, but um, it obviously requires a great little, a great deal of analytical information so that you can analyze that. And that, and that makes sense to me because you have to have a plan if you're going to expand the share of the wallet. So based on that, how how did you apply those insights, and how has it led you to where you are today? Okay, so essentially that's working with existing customers. How do we get more business from existing customers? And then I ended up um, from there go, staying in the insurance industry, uh, but mo- moving over into the health insurance industry. And um, uh, then I went off to graduate school. That's a whole different conversation about forks in the road. And while I was uh, in graduate school, I got hired by a startup company, this will date me, that had a insurance-related, health insurance-related application uh, that ran on a Wang 2200. So for your listeners out there, many of them probably never heard of Wang, but there's probably some folks who might remember that at one time Wang was a uh, force to be reckoned with, had a huge building in Boston or in the Massachusetts area and, and was um, at the forefront of uh, many computers, you know, what has led to what we have today. And mm-hmm. uh, Bob was to help him grow his startup. He had this little technology company. Technology was really new. And now we're talking about, you know, 1980, 81 time frame. And he wanted me to help him get, his, get traction in the marketplace, validate his product, get his first customers. So I was doing marketing and sales and implementation and customer support. Uh, which is a great opportunity to learn all different kinds of things um, to, in a small company. You know, my get roll up your sleeves and and do the work. So that's kind of uh, was my next stop. And I was footloose and fancy free, living in Tampa, Florida, and um, I was um, acquiring customers in Houston and Dallas and um, Austin. And I was on a plane traveling between those <laughs> cities. And I met an amazing person. People always say, how'd you end up in Texas? I said, I met this guy on a plane, and he said, you know, we have a small startup uh, in Austin, Texas, a, a part of Motorola. I think you should talk to so-and-so. We could use somebody like you. And that's wow. how I ended up in Austin. <laughs> you must have made quite the impression. Just out of curiosity, did you go to graduate school in Florida? Yes, the University of South Florida which today has a, a football team. We didn't have it back then. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it's how things change, right? I mean, it's, it's interesting. But just, just what you just said 
about the happenstance, but anybody that's read The Secret would say that that wasn't, that that was the law of attraction, um, that you just started talking to this total stranger on an airplane, and you obviously weren't out to sell yourself. That, is, that wasn't your goal. But your goal was in just talking about what, you, what you're interested in, what you're doing, and you sold yourself because of, of what it is that you were interested in. And this, this person obviously saw something in you that, you know, that you went, whoa, what, what just happened? And that must have been so cool to have that happen to you. So off you went to Motorola. Uh- off I went. Well, it didn't happen quite like that, as fast as that, but it happened pretty quickly. <laughs> and his name was Carlton Braun, and he was leaving a small town in Austin, uh, in Texas called Seguin, and he was on his way up to uh, live in Schaumburg, the headquarters of Motorola, and start Motorola University, which I thought was fascinating. Obviously, you know, with my background in, in academia, I was fascinated that corporations had universities. I didn't even know that at the time. Right. Um, so I took this. <laughs> Up in, uh, in a uh, small little startup of, of Motorola that uh, made 8-bit microcontrollers. All they wanted was someone who, who had some technology and startup experience and a marketing and sales background, and there we were. I was all of a sudden on a rocket ship because it was the most amazing ride over the next 14 years uh, to launch new products, to be a part of a of – a, disruptive and amazing industry that is basically the heart and soul of almost any everything that's out there you can hardly do today without a semiconductor right so you're right and you know were you did you always have this fascination even like when you were in high school i mean were you around entrepreneurs and business owners and things like that was that part of your family background it wasn't but that's an interesting question no, my father worked uh, for the Defense Department. My mother is was a registered nurse and worked in the nursing and the healthcare field. But I was a member of Junior Achievement. I don't know if you recall. Oh, oh yes, I do. And they have it still. I've actually been a part of the Junior Achievement uh, program on and off over the years. It's very different today than it was when I was a, a young person in Junior Achievement. But that did uh, open my eyes to what it really takes to bring a business to life, right? That's what Junior Achievement's all all about, is helping you understand, you know, each team comes up with a product, it has to price it, has to figure out how to uh, position it, uh, compete, and then sell some. (laughs) So, I think that's, that's that's just great. That's really just phenomenal. So, so, I, I maybe I sort of already have a sense about this, but what inspired you to personally start your own growth consulting firm, which is Vision Edge, and I would like people to know that Vision Vision Edge is one word. The E is capitalized, but it is Vision Edge Marketing, um, and you can go to visionedgemarketing.com. You don't have to put the capital E to, to go to her website, but I will make sure that people know how to get to your website because it's a fabulous website. So so what what was the inspiration behind this? You're, you're very kind, Marcia, to say something about the company. So I have to be honest. I never thought I would be an uh-huh. entrepreneur. So really? I left Motorola and, hmm. and I went to work for a uh, uh, financial services firm. So back into financial services, banking uh, uh, industry, 
to architect a customer loyalty uh, product, which kind of goes back to my roots where I started. And then mm-hmm. that led to being hired by a enterprise uh, software company here in town whose primary market was financial services. So now let me fast forward you. It's 1999, happy days, right, of all of us who yep. remember 1999. Of course. And um, often, if you could sell marketing, you could get a job. That's funny. (laughs) Oh, my God. It didn't mean going to the grocery store. Okay, go on. (laughs) My phone would be ringing with uh, opportunities to become a marketing person in all these companies. So people, again, with some context, at that time we had Semitech and uh, uh, MCC, which were two large collaborative entities, and uh, MCC was spinning out all kinds of software companies. They were sprouting up like mushrooms. And they all needed marketing people. And so my phone was ringing, and so was that of a colleague's. And he, he called me up, and he said, uh, is your phone ringing like my phone is ringing? And I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, you know, this might be the best time ever to start our own company. And I said, mm, I don't know about that. And he said, oh, you know what, we might as well jump from the fire to the frying pan. This is the time to do it. So we sat down, we put together a business plan, we thought about what we would do and how we would you know, try to drink our own champagne, so to speak. How, how, what would we do? How would we differentiate ourselves from agencies because we really did not want to be a creative services arm and how we could leverage our backgrounds in B2B. He also had a technology B2B background, a little slightly different than my background, more in telecom. Uh, how we could, um, what we would sell, what we would market, what would we do to help companies. And I said, we just need to help our customers grow because these were all young companies and they all wanted to grow and they wanted to grow fast, fast, fast because they were venture backed or had other money. And of course, those investors all wanted, you know, a, a quick return. Sure. So yeah. that's what we created a firm for growth. You know, it's funny. Um, up until just maybe a month ago, I didn't know what the term B2B meant. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> because I'm not in that world, but we have a very very good mutual friend, Jerry um, Kinlins, and she talked about B2B. So for those of you that may be listening and don't know what that means, let me tell you, it means business to business. And I learned that. And, you know, and that's what happens on podcasts. And that's what happens sitting next to a stranger uh, on an airplane or me, me, t- me taking a walk in my neighborhood or going to my rotary meeting. You don't ever know where these opportunities are come from but if you are open and obviously you are very open or these things would not have happened you don't know where you can go and i think that that's what makes what you do you know so so exciting to 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 hear about so tell me about some of your uh, current customers at vision edge marketing tell me about them well you know it's kind of an interesting um journey because when we started okay. we were like ship right here in austin you, you you know it was just amazing opportunities uh, with all these technology predominantly software companies but not only and we got to work with amazing companies but then you might remember that 2001 came along and in 2001 we had the dot-com bust we had 911 um yep. and right it was and uh, my partner's wife uh, came down with a very um, uh, aggressive form of breast cancer. Oh, and dear. so, yes, so I bought him out. 
so he could go find a job with better insurance than our company had, you know, in, in, and I went from working with startups to, to looking for much more established companies because startups were starting to have some of the same problems we were having, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their money was drying up, their opportunities were drying up, all kinds of things, and so I had the privilege of working with big names like Cisco and oh. Intel on. And I also had some amazing customers here like ETS, Lindgren, um, others like InfoGlide, which has since sold, um, and, and, and other examples that allowed me to not only keep the local business and be with them for the longer term, but also get into some of these bigger names, which gave uh, uh, Vision Edge Marketing more traction and to the point that we were really fortunate. And it didn't hurt that I had a couple of books that were very well received. Uh, one was Gone Fishing Right Out of the Gate, which really talked about how to align sales and marketing around the customer and that you needed to be a customer-centric organization and what did that mean. And the second book was on measurement. So in 2001, I initiated what has been a longitudinal study on how do you measure the value, impact, and contribution of marketing and who does it and who does it well and how do they do it better and differently. That work has been... Um, uh, well-received in the research and academic world as well as in the business world. We just published the 2021 study earlier this year in the Journal of Applied Marketing Analytics, so we've been very blessed with uh, being included in, in that. And that led to other books um, and other uh, people reaching out saying, you know, this marketing thing, this um, having it be a growth thing, being able to get it better aligned and make it more measurable, that that's a good thing. How do we do that? And so that is what allowed to grow and work with all kinds of that's just that's just tremendous i I mean i really that's very exciting um i i have a very close friend that worked um in an emba program an executive mba program here by my home at loyola marymount university and a lot of those people studied marketing and actually my son works at university of arizona and the eller business college which is also um, on marketing and and you know it, it's really interesting um, when you think about this. I was just thinking I was just thinking about you and your lifestyle, and I was wondering, do you personally belong like to Chamber of Commerces and those kinds of business as well? Early on, yes, but uh-huh. as we expanded globally, I couldn't join everything. So now right. I'm more focused on being rather than being a member of a chamber, we're more members of organizations in line with our customers, the kinds of companies we work with. I, I think that has served us very well. Uh, and oh, that's the kind, great. Yes, because our customers are all over the world. I mean, Elsevier is in Europe, and uh, we've worked with companies over in the Middle East and uh, just everywhere uh, that, you know, people are trying to grow. I, I think what's uh, kind of interesting is, um, to your point, the relationships, the conversations that get started and how those yes. are part of your journey. And um, I don't know if you have ever heard of Jim Obermeyer or Susan Finch, but they have mm-hmm. a program and in the sales uh, and marketing world. And I have had the pleasure of being part of their program, but it was Jim Obermeyer who uh, asked me to do a program on growth with CEOs. Uh, or my own program, and I wanted to do it with on growth with CEOs here in Austin. And that, along with our framework, Circle of Traction, one of our customers who's been, uh, as he has, his career has evolved, he 
he's brought Vision Edge Marketing and me into all of the different companies he's been a part of and we, because he likes our circle of traction framework. And one day he said to me as I was delivering this program for the third or fourth time for him, he said, will you ever put this in a book? And I had already done three <laughs> books, Marsha, mm-hmm. and I I'll probably <laughs> And he said, well, you should think about that. And I said, okay. Oh, God. Put it on the list, right? (laughs) Yes. And then asked Jim and me to do this program with CEOs that I had known for all these years in Austin who were gracious enough to meet with me and and talk about their journey and their growth, um, the companies and how they were growing them and the role that marketing played in being able to help them be uh, successful. Between that and the circle of attraction and John's encouragement, I did write uh, a book uh, called Fast Track Your Business. And really, We're going to talk and, about that. Right. We're going to oh. talk about that in just a few moments because I really oh, do sh- want to spend some time about those books that you've written. But I just back to the point about your clients, um, why do you think – that your clients rely on you and your services. What 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 what's your feedback from them? Oh, that's a great question. So one of the things we hear all the time from our customers is that we teach them how to fish and don't just give them a fish. They <sighs> learn, and what we help them do they, is repeatable. So they can it is the transfer of that knowledge of those or of those recipes and processes and how to do something, we don't mind giving that to them so that they can be successful even without us. So I think that's one of the things that um, is a key part of it. And I think they come back to us again and again. There's always more work, right, Marsha? It's not because they want the sure. same thing. It's because they want another another way of doing something that they were doing or they need something in addition to what we had helped them with before, or there's somebody else inside the organization that needs it and, they, you know, they want to get it, get it straight from, now I'm changing metaphors, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Right. Well, you know, let's face it, you know, there was a time when social media, we didn't even know what those terms were. We didn't know about, you know, LinkedIn and all of the different platforms where people can get the word out from business to business because that's 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 part of marketing. But there certainly wasn't the level, there wasn't the expertise, there wasn't the ease of doing these kinds of things 25 years ago. And, and the fact that now people can simply go to a, a browser and type something in, and, you're, and you're, I really do think your website is fabulous. Um, there are so many things that you offer on your website, and I, I would really recommend that, that people go to your website for that very reason. And, Laura, I also want to just take a moment and spell your last name because I find that oftentimes people just start Googling, right? And so Laura is spelled the L-A-U-R-A, but Laura spells her last name P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N so that if you do want to look up Laura and find her on LinkedIn and other places um, besides her website, you'll you'll be able to do that. Uh, and I, I think that that's been a I – know, I, I know personally – that that's helped me in in what I do, that I'm able to share what I do across so many platforms. There's so many opportunities out there today. I mean, I'm just picturing you 
at a TED Talk. I'm picturing you at a university saying, you know, we've got this executive MBA program where we have marketing and we have a guest speaker coming today to our university to share things. I mean, I can only imagine the opportunities that must come your way based on your interest. I mean, it's really, really tremendous. And, and And you mentioned at one point about organic growth. And I would like you... Um, to just define for me, because I don't really know what that means. What does organic growth mean? Okay, that's a great question, too. So organic growth is things that a company does using their own resources to grow, as opposed to, for example, doing a merger and an acquisition, which, right, or something along those lines, which would not be organic. So they do oh. the work in order to do their growth. And, um, you know, companies of all sizes have to be able to do organic growth because let's say you acquire a company. Sooner or later, whether it's you're a publicly traded company with shareholders or a privately traded company with investors, you have to prove that you can grow that business, and that's organic growth. And all com- companies of all sizes need to have good growth strategies and engines, and usually marketing is that engine. It obviously shares that responsibility with sales and other aspects of the company, but it's the primary engine of growth. That's where the growth strategies are derived from. That's and interesting. Com- Go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Say companies of all sizes and in all industries have to be able to understand how to do that well, whether they do it themselves or they use others. And even big companies uh, who have are, you know, lots and lots of people, and many of them are experts, they're not experts at everything, or they don't need to have an expert for something on staff all the time. So there's always opportunities for them to learn, whether it's a big company or a small company that is really strapped and doesn't have a lot of people, internal mm-hmm. people, with, but they need to get something done, right? So they need, they need to be able to get results uh, quickly. So tell me a little bit more about that philosophy that you bring to this um, organic growth? What, 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 what is, I know you've written several books and we are going to be talking about them, but I'd like to know a little bit more about the philosophy that you put behind this thought process. So the pillars of our company are being able to derive insights from data that, yes, you probably have good experience and uh, good instincts, but it always, you know, it always helps to have insights that come from real data. Um, that you need processes that are repeatable. That's what gives you the ability to be effective and efficient continuously, right? Because you can, all businesses run on processes that you can measure how well you're doing so that you know where to improve or what changes to make or what decisions, how to make a better decision. And that, most importantly, the reason you have a business is to create and serve a customer. So those are our philosophy, that's our tenants in our company. And so it, many companies, you know, you know that old saying, if we build it, they will come? Right. So that's a product-centric company, right? And there are lots of examples of that out there. Um, and our philosophy is that's, that's cool, but it would be a mm-hmm. lot better if you had and understood what customers really want and you delivered that to them. Right. And, you know, we can't um, discount the fact that you, too, are a customer, and so being a customer of services that you are interested in also puts you on both sides of that equation. 
so that you can say, I know what I want from XYZ because I'm their customer. I know what my customers want from me, from from what we do. So it, it it's not like you're not a customer yourself because, of course, you are, and uh, and you are a consumer. So I think that that adds to it because it adds validity. But I, I am curious to know, um, because it's interesting how people end up where they are, and you mentioned your parents a little earlier, um, was an entrepreneurship always an aspiration for you for as long as when you as when you think back to that no i never thought (laughs) but so i am fortunate i um my husband and uh, who i've been with since 1990 Mm, congratulations thank you that's his own firm it's an in construction Mm -hmm. and uh so he is entrepreneurial and it, it was a firm started by his father who was an entrepreneur and so he he's the one who said, oh, I think you can do it. He was very supportive and highly encouraging. He goes, what's the worst thing that can happen? If it goes south, you'll go get a job. <laughs> and so <laughs> he, that was his like, you give it a go. Um, there's a lot to, you know, there's a lot of responsibility in being, in being an entrepreneur because you do have to take care of your customers first, right? And then you have mm-hmm. to pay your people and your suppliers before you pay yourself. There's a lot, of, and don't forget the government. Uh, so oh yeah, they yeah. want their cut, don't they? <laughs> oh my goodness, so, that's funny. Go yeah. um, but the point he was making is um, try to see if you can be, you know, steer your own ship and be at the helm of your own ship, and let's find out if you know what you believe in is, uh, and what you what you say and what you do is really something that would be useful to people. You know, here we are. Uh, 20-something years later, and we're still doing it. So I guess the answer to that was yes. You know, that's that's great because it's wonderful to have a partner that is supporting you in what it is that you want to do. And I'm just going to ask this question. Um, I don't know if it's politically correct, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Were there a lot of women doing what you were doing when you first got started doing this? I would say the answer to that is no, and there still aren't a lot of women doing what it is mm-hmm. I'm doing. However, in Austin, there have been some excellent women at the helm of various uh, consulting firms. Like people may have heard of Gay Gaddis, who was at T3. Um, and two of the women uh, that I worked for in startup, two people in two of the startups I worked for, the CEOs were women. And I have to tell you, um, what they inspired me was if they could do it, I could do it. Uh, they weren't particularly exceptional. And so that made me realize that if they that I didn't have to be um, a superhuman being in order to be a good um, entrepreneur and a good leader. I, I, I think really, I think that's so important. Um, as a, I have, I have a son and a daughter. I mentioned my son is at U of A. My daughter is in commercial construction, and um, 17 years. And that isn't really a field that many women are in, especially at her level um, in her company. And I think it's really inspiring. Uh, That's not to take away from anything that men are doing, but I think it's really inspiring when women today are doing things that would have been unheard of 50 years ago. And and so it's another level of being a role model. And it's not like you start off by saying, well, look at me, I'm a woman, so therefore. But it's just, it's an unspoken um, 
um, thing that, that you do, and, and you don't know. And I, I say this so often. I say you don't know what you don't know because that's just the truth in my life. And you don't know as a woman who you might be inspiring as another female that might really say, wow, just like what your husband said to you, um, you can do it. You know, just do it. You can you can do this. I have confidence in you. And I think that that's, that's really motivating and probably something that's tucked back in there in your mind that lets you know that, you know, women are watching and that's not to say men aren't I, and i i don't want to i don't want to take it down that 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 slippery slope i just think that what you're doing to inspire other women in this field is is exciting because as you said in the beginning there wasn't as many and i and i like that um and you 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 had mentioned a little while ago about your books and I like the, the title of your first book. But let's talk about your books now and this sort of longitudinal study around performance management. Because performance management, okay, let's just say performance management, that's an internal term. I would, let's start right there by having me have you define what, that, what does performance management mean. Okay, that's a really good question. So we started uh, in our, with our study trying to understand how does marketing prove its value and contribution to the business, and how does it measure its performance and use that information uh, to the benefit of the organization it supports, it serves? Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned a lot. Uh, every single year we learned something different, and over time we were able to identify some commonalities between particular types of marketing functions that didn't depend on industry or geography or budget they just were the way that the function operated and that uh, and they did those different ways different kinds of functions were very consistent in the way they operated and that's so interesting yeah it was interesting and um and un- unexpected and so mm-hmm. uh was asked by some of the people, some of the CEOs that participate in this study a couple of years ago uh, said to me, okay, Laura, you have been able to identify these types of marketing functions and you can tell us what they do differently and better and, and what works for them and how to, and you told us it doesn't matter what their budget is or their geography or their industry or their size. Could you tell us what does matter? And so um, after uh, a couple of iterations uh, in terms of how to go about doing that kind of research, I was able to partner with the Jindal School at the University of Texas at Dallas uh, into one of their professors and, uh, and staffs. And together, Rita uh, Eglin and her team, one of her teams and I executed a study to try to find out, is there something unique inside an organization that allows certain types of marketing functions that do this really well to flourish? And the answer was yes. And so that was really exciting, and that's what the most recent um, research revealed, is that there is a particular combination of the type of culture and the leadership style that facilitates the emergence and success of what we will call marketing organizations that are really able to prove their value and make a difference uh, to the organization. When did what, what what prompted you on top of all that you're doing, 
to also start authoring and start writing books. So let's hear a little. You mentioned your first book. Just tell us a little bit more about these books that you've written. So Gone Fishing was kind of a primer, and it was a result of working with customers who it was clear uh, were very technology-centric. So most of our early customers were very uh, much in the technology space, whether they were semiconductors or software or uh, information security, uh, telecommunications, networking, all different kinds of technology. And so they're, most of the leadership team were technical in nature, with you know sprinkled in with some salespeople and finance people. They didn't really think about being customer-centric or really understand how to create a marketing and sales process that was aligned to how customers go through the buying journey, right? They just figured they'd come up with something cool and bring it to market and market it, and, you know, that might mean advertising or, and back in those days, obviously, advertising, print advertising predominantly, events, mailings, things like that, and it would sell. Mm-hmm. And they were, So that's why we wrote Gone Fishing. The second book, Measure What Matters, um, was a result initially of a reaction I had. I was writing a response to a article I read, and I was the article. I didn't agree with the article, and I so I started to write a response to the author in this article. And one of uh, the folks on our team, who has long since retired, said, "You know, I think you might have the makings of a book here." Huh. <laughs> It to be a very long response. I mean, it was really, really long. He goes, no one's going to read this response, but, you know, you're, you're talking about measuring what matters, and you were. what I was trying to say was most of the measures people were looking at were very vanity-oriented measures or, or activity-oriented measures, and they really weren't measures that, that showed how the organization was, you know, moving the needle or moving the ball down the field or making a difference. And I had a whole bunch of examples of things like that. And that's what Measure What Matters was about. Um, the third book, a Metrics in Action, was really taking a lot of the research that we had been doing on the performance management and bringing that to life in a book um, and helping people really uh, understand how to create those measures, what are, what are the right kinds to use in what circumstances, and how to go from that to a dashboard. And then, so that was um, book number three, and, and it was quite popular. Fast Track is very different. Fast Track is really a, um, takes our framework, circle of traction, and takes them completely through that and tells them how to do it. So it's, it's a really very much, a little bit back to gone fishing in since the roots of how to do something, but much uh, more holistic than what gone fishing was. That's interesting. Tell, tell me a little bit more before we talk more about fast track your business, or maybe that's in there. What, what was the terminology that you used that you said it starts with circle? What, what is that called again? The framework? The circle yeah, the, of traction? Mm-hmm. Circle of traction? Yes. So how do you okay. get traction in the place, right? Because that's what companies are trying to do is get in it and get traction so they can grow. Because you can't grow mm-hmm. without. Right, that's that's very true. Well, so that that led you to your next book, which was Fast Track Your Business. Um, I don't. How long did it? How how long did it take you to write your books? I mean, I don't know. I've talked to many many authors, depending upon what the subject matter is. Did it take you quite a while to write those first three books? So, uh, yes. Um, 
maybe as long as most people might think. So gone fishing probably was, um, probably only took about a year from start to okay. finish. It wasn't very long. It's a, like I said, a primer. Um, mm-hmm. And we learned so much. We didn't even understand the book publishing industry. I didn't have sure. a publisher. We, we just got, you know, did it ourselves and learned, learned as we went. Then once we had a book, then the next book, it was easy because now we had a public, people out there wanting to be a publisher. And you have to kind of remember that how the book publishing industry works and what it was then compared to what you can do today. You know, back in 19, uh, in the early 90s, early 2000s, self-publishing was kind of, you know, frowned upon. It was meant that you just couldn't get a publisher. But today, today self-publishing is a is, a, you know, a very respected way of bringing a book to market. In fact, I wrote a huge book on how to self-publish your book called Eight. Uh, so it just goes to show you everything goes full circle. So I had a publisher sure for the other books, and um, they uh, took longer to bring to market than they did to write. And that's one of the challenges with the publishing industry is that it's about 18 months from the time they get a um, – a document to the time mm-hmm. it actually ends itself. Wow, and it probably didn't write them. Um, so for Fast Track Your Business, um, sadly, um, the publisher that I had been using, he, he came, he uh, has Alzheimer's, and so they closed mm-hmm. their shop, their their publishing house, and I read Guy Kawasaki's book, and then I learned something really interesting, Marcia. I learned there's this whole cottage industry called book producers, and that's um, how we got fast-tracked to market. And we had the most amazing book producer, Jennifer Thompson from Monkey See Media, was just remarkable. And she helped us bring um, Fast Track to life. And I learned all about a whole new industry. <laughs> so. that's, that's a great story. But, you know, there is so much to you. And I know that you speak at conferences and company venues. When did you, when did you start doing that? Well, I've been speaking at conferences probably for a very long time because when you're in the sales business like I was for DME Systems, the the startup in Florida, I went to conferences, right, trade shows and events. And then at Motorola, I didn't so much just do the speaking, although a little bit at at events that were marketing-oriented, but my job was to help our engineers and our leaders get speaking engagements. So I learned a lot about the process. And that evolved into doing more of that um, once I left Motorola. So I would say since uh, 1997, I've been speaking pretty consistently at various events and universities, conferences, associations. And um, uh, one, of the, the to- one of the most popular topics today yes. right now is a, a topic on um, what we call the four game changers. And they are basically – what any company in any stage of growth needs to do to, in order to be successful, regardless of the economic environment. And we're in challenging times right now, for sure. Yes, indeed. Well, that's – so you are still speaking, I presume. Is that true? Oh, yes. I, yes. Uh, the best way to share, you know, the learnings and give them to people so that they can uh, see, uh, try them on and, and see if they can make them work. Right. Isn't it interesting, um, the terminologies 
that we're using today in our languages that we we didn't really ever um, know before as something that was sort of a a title, which is um, influencers. You know, um, you, I could go back to when I was younger and I was influenced by what somebody wore to school. You know, that was an influence. But today, influencers are um, highly regarded, and I know that you are a highly regarded influencer and that people really want you to speak at their conferences, and that must be very satisfying. I, I'm not trying to boost the ego. I'm just saying, you know, you've worked hard, and to be recognized in your field as an influencer, that that must that must be very must be a very gratifying feeling. It, it is gratifying when people come and tell me that it helps them. Then it's gratifying. Mm-hmm. Wow, I never the result. That yes, or I was wondering if that was something you reinforced what I was thinking or anything like that. That's what makes that because you know. It does take time. Yes, you get paid to speak. But doing a good job, it takes far more time than the time you're on the stage, right? And sure. so so it, you're never going to see that was the compensation for the real amount of time because time's the most precious asset and resource we all have. But when people tell you you helped them or you you made a difference for them, that that makes it worthwhile. Oh, you that, bet. And I bet that's true. And you mentioned um, that there were four game changers. Is that sort of a simple explanation of maybe an example of what a game changer might be? Well, certainly one key game changer is being customer-centric. And I think companies are getting that, but they don't necessarily understand what that means. And we, in, the, in the keynote, we give them some examples. But customer-centric really is about how you run your business not just, oh, I answered the phone call fast or I gave them a good answer or I, you know, replied to them, you know, their, to their email or anything like that. Custom, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily, that might be customer service, but that's not customer-centric. And customer-centric is really about the decisions that you make your, and how you run your business are all based on, on taking the customer into account. Yes. Give me, a, give me another example. Of, of some of these game changers, because I think this is really interesting. Well, another example, obviously, would be around data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, today, I would say that people are inundated with data. Back, yes. I people did better with less data, you know, 40 years ago. I did <laughs> better in some ways, and I had way less data. I think they're firehosed by data. And, and analyzing that data and knowing what data is relevant um, and so one of the things we talk about in the in the keynote is if you start with the data, you'll just end up drowning. The question, the, the thing to start with is the question that you need answered or the decision that you need to make. And a lot of times when I ask people, well, what decision do you want to make? They're just sort of very vague, right? They They're don't very, know, right? They don't know, right? Wow. So that's a game changer when you understand this is the decision I need to make. And I think also it's important to recognize that you can change your mind. It's okay mm-hmm. decision today that might not be the right decision in a quarter, but do what you need to do now, you can change in a quarter. Yeah. That's, that's you know, like I said, your um, your analytics and your and your website um, is, is very, very 
um, helpful. And also, I just wanted to quickly mention before I forget, you know, I will certainly um, hyperlink your your latest book so that people can easily find that on Amazon and and add it to their collection. Um, you know, I, I my computer is open in front of me, like your prob- yours probably is as well, and um, we've seen so much turmoil right now and market conditions, I mean, in any given day, it's up, it's down, it's flat, it's hyper, it's wherever it is. With the current market conditions that we are right now, what advice would you offer to these entrepreneurs and business owners? Yeah, it is pretty challenging time. Yeah. There's a lot of certainty. There's no doubt about that. So I think that a lot of people get to a place where it's like this environment. They don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. That That's not a good course of action. Um, I think that having a plan uh, that has some degree of flexibility, but I think it's important to have a plan. That's like saying getting in your car, you know, and you have, you're in a storm. The storm is coming, but you don't have a plan on where you're going to go. I, I mean, that right. isn't going to be a good, a good outcome. Right, Cause, so you need to have enough information on where is the storm coming from and where is it going to be going. I mean, what what good would it be if you're in the storm and you're just going to continue driving somewhere and you never get out of the storm? Right. That's so, a that's a yeah. that's a that's a great analogy. You know, it's not like oh, I I didn't I didn't realize when I saw the weather report that I needed to have an umbrella today. What? So yes. you know. It's 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 very that's very that's really that's really good because you know you know if if we all knew precisely what was going to happen in the market you know that would you know we don't that's why that's why I have financial planners that's why I have people that I pay to take care of my finances it's not a it's not a field I'm familiar with I trust I trust my my marketing my not my marketing but my financial people but. What occurred to me that we haven't mentioned at all, and I'm just kind of curious, has COVID had any impact on your business? Um, not particularly. I just I don't. Okay. I get to sleep. I get to sleep in my bed a little more. That's nice. <laughs> Do you <laughs> find that you work for for home a lot more than maybe you did a few years ago? I can do more meetings. I can't mm-hmm. not working sessions or things that require a lot of people to be present for collaborative work. But you right. know those kinds of meetings can now be done with technology and that saves them money and it saves me time because you know when you're on a plane traveling or in a hotel room that's not paid for time and um it's who wants to sleep in a hotel room when they have a you know a great bed at home and you know who wants to eat airport food i mean some airports have than others um i think that to to back to the question about advice the other thing is i think companies need to make more time to talk to suppliers and customers because they are just looking at some data. But get to your point, Marsha, have conversations with people in your ecosystem, in your community. Talk to people in your community, uh, and I don't mean your community, just your local community, the people in your business community. uh, Find out what, you know, get insights from what's going on with them. Talk to customers. Have a customer advisory board if you have one. Talk to Mm -hmm. suppliers. Get insight from them on what they see happening and how they, how you as a company can best help them be successful. Because if you ask that question, you're going to learn a lot. Right. And, you know, perhaps and just asking that question, 
you know, I, I suspect that you work with very large companies that, that, don't, that have more than four people in their staff. But sometimes, like in anything we do, we have to start by asking ourselves, well, what, what are my expectations? What, what, what do I hope to achieve? What are those markers? What are my milestones? Do I need? Do I have the right staff? Do I need more staff? Do I have too many staff? You know, what does the consumer, like you said earlier, what does that customer want? And then, you know, accept the feedback. I, just as a side, side thing here, um, we all call customer service businesses for a variety of reasons. It, it doesn't matter what that reason is. But I find personally, just, my, just what I do personally, that when I've had a really good experience from a customer service person and whatever that calls about, I always ask to speak to their supervisor I, or I always ask, will I get a survey? Because I think that feedback is also relevant. The companies need to know, are, do we have the right people on the line that's going to move our product or our service or our business forward if all we're getting is one complaint after another, after another, after another. We're doing something wrong and we need to make some changes. So I really like to encourage people to give positive. I mean, yes, if if something is terribly wrong, you should let people know that. But I also think there's something to be said for kindness and sharing the positivities that happen as well. I totally agree. In fact, our blog post last week was on customer experience that we had at a restaurant when we took our new puppy with us. And it's, it's oh. a, we've had a lot of people tell us how much they enjoyed the story of Riley and his customer experience. But it just goes to show you that's how small things can make a huge difference. And I'm not a big review writer, but I wrote a review for that that restaurant. So, that's um, nice. Yes. Yeah. Kindness, I agree with you, Marcia. Um, there's a, you know, be kind, right? Right. It, it costs yeah. nothing. And if it's, oh. if it's internal, if, and if you're forcing it, then skip it. It's got to be genuine. Um, so as, we, as, we, as we're getting close to the end of this hour, what, what do you envision as your next chapter in your professional life? Do you have something out there that's going, okay, there's my next reach? I have been participating in uh, Deloitte's uh, Board of Directors uh, workshop. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm, they do a great job, and I am really hoping that in the coming year, I will find a, 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 maybe a mid-market, back to B2B company, maybe in manufacturing or technology that's you know privately held or private equity, um, and they're looking for someone like me to join their board to help them grow. I'm not all that excited about a, where I would be involved in a public company. It's all about the, you know, the financials. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Not what gets me excited with when I work with companies. It's helping them grow is what gets me excited. So I would love an opportunity uh, to do that. That would be something I think would be That's, a great chapter. Yeah. So you described a fairly busy lifestyle and and i had a millennial tell me i don't use the word busy i use the word productive but busy seems to come out of my mouth um but it sounds like you are very productive and i'm sure you are very good at um 
time management so that like you can take this puppy out for uh, for a meal so when I talk to people that live a lifestyle similar to yours I'm always curious what do you personally do to balance your work life and your personal life so that you have the energy for both what is there anything that you personally like to do for that in that regard that's a that's a tough question for me because I am pretty focused on the, the work side of the equation. Mm-hmm. I have a colleague here in town, you may have read some of her work, Mara Neville Thomas, and she talks about attention management. And I learned from her that what's really important is where you put your attention. So I try to be attentive at when I need to be attentive to the things that are important to me, like my family, um, mm-hmm. my customer, um, the company, the people who work for me, our suppliers. But I also recognize that to do my best, I have to be attentive to myself, too. So I do try to say, you know, I work very hard at uh, staying in good health. And good. So Mark and, and Mark, I'm, I'm lucky that I am married to someone who shares an interest in, um, in a healthy lifestyle, so we're careful about what we eat, and we both get in plenty of exercise, and we find ways to do things together, like you talked about early on, yoga. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I have a husband who will go to yoga. <laughs> Wonderful. That is right. so great. It is. Because so you both, can... gosh, I, I mean, I'm sorry I just got so excited about that. I, I wonder if my husband was still alive, if he would ever do that. I, I don't know. He was so calm. He just lived by it is what it is, and nothing ever flustered him. But... For those of us that live sort of on the sometimes the edge or the sort of the anxiety side of life, which would describe me at at points, I just find, if nothing else, the breathing, the just the ability to just take a deep breath. And I mean, I just I don't see how anybody could not benefit by that. Would you agree? I agree, but I am very fortunate. Many years ago, I, I had a, a dear friend who is still a very dear friend got me hooked on doing triathlons. And I, oh, my gosh. For you on the story of how my first triathlon, but again, I decided I wanted to do these triathlons, and my husband said, sure, let's do that. And I didn't even know how to ride a, bo- a bike. <laughs> oh. he, and he taught me how to ride a bike because he had raced on bikes. So it's just, you know, having a good partner. I think having a good partner can make all the difference in having good balance in your life. You bet. So, I mean, did I mean, I know a lot of triathletes. I used to work at the YMCA, but some of the triathletes that I knew, one did the swimming part, one did the running part, one did the cycling part. Is that, do you, do you do like a relay, right? Do you actually do all three? I do, and that oh is a for a much different radio show. Yes, um, but learned a you know it takes good strategy to do a race. You have to really have a strategy and playing to your strengths and making sure that you pick races that don't um, penalize you because of your weaknesses, and that applies to business as well. Play to your strengths wow. and don't markets that are going to penalize you for your weaknesses. Gosh, you know what? Play to your strengths. I mean, what a perfect, what a perfect way to conclude a wonderful hour of information from you. Uh, this, this has been so 
so enlightening, and I think that people that listen to this are going to hear that whole balance that you just that you just talked about because it can't happen without that. And I I just I I want to thank you so much for for being part of this today and for sharing this knowledge and for letting people know that they can find you on that visionedgemarketing.com website and you're you're they can they can um they can be part of it you can be part of the, the mailings it's just it's terrific Laura and um I I'm very grateful that you could take the time out today to spend this hour with me it's been very enlightening for me Thank you, Marsha. Actually, I am the one who's grateful. This has been wonderful, and I do hope all your listeners took away at least one good idea. And thank you so much for your interest and your time. You're so welcome. And everyone, just just take a nugget. That one nugget might be just the game changer for you. So I'm going to let Laura go on with her day. I'm going to say goodbye to now, for now. I will. There are five Mondays, my friends, in this month of October. So I still have two more Mondays in October. But you know what? Just like Laura, I love what I do as well. So thank you, everybody, for, for supporting me in what I do. And I wish you all the best, Laura. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Just You're thank welcome. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.